Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. And you'll find that passage on page 904. And if you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to take that as a gift. Uh, that's what we believe about the Word of God is that everyone should have a copy of it, and uh, feel free to take that with you today. I want to give you a little preview before uh, we begin reading in verse 12. Um, there are any number of books that are actually written about... Um, from the arrest through the trials of Jesus. And uh, some of these books are coming from the angle of how illegal all of those things that took place were. For instance, last week we, we looked at uh, uh, the arrest. Um, it was illegal to uh, arrest at night on a capital offense, and of course the, the danger is of uh, getting the wrong person if it's at night. They didn't have spotlights, they didn't have flashlights and, and those kinds of things. Um, it, you, uh, it was illegal to arrest based on a paid-off informer, and of course that's, that's what happened. And there was no formal charge made against him at that point. All of that was illegal. And then when we get to uh, the first two trials that we're going to look at today, uh, the trials in front of the, uh, the Jewish leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, um, once again, uh, there were a number of illegalities, just some of them, uh, again, took place at night. That was uh, not allowed when it came to a capital offense. It was always stretched out over a couple of days, uh, and everything would be presented, and then there'd be a, a rest, uh, a, a stopping point, so that uh, even the judges could reconsider and see if there's some way this one might be innocent and so on. Of course, this all takes place in, in a, you know, just it, they were on a, a roll at this point. Uh, any, anyone accused was entitled to witnesses on your behalf, and the accused never had to testify. And, of course, what we will see is that he's the only one that testified here, basically. Now, I'm saying all that, but I, I, I want to clarify, because I, I don't want us to think that, that somehow things went awry or that uh, uh, there are, are problems with this. While that might be interesting to study and so on, in that day, uh, the Jewish law and the Jewish trials were basically the most careful justice that was available. So the problem was not the system you know where I'm going with this. The problem was the hearts of those who applied the system. And so 
I don't want us to get hung up on those. I want to mention them just so we acknowledge, okay, yeah, there, there, there were things that went wrong, but, but this wasn't out of control as we talked about last week and we'll continue to talk about uh, today. All of this was still a part of God's plan. But here's the other thing. If the King of kings and Lord of lords cannot get justice in this world, perhaps our frustration when there is a lack of justice should just make us long all the more for the next world where justice will be perfect. So let's take a look at at this passage. We want to pick up with uh, verse 12. So the band of soldiers and uh, their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Uh, First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered uh, with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and the officers had made a a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me, heard heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together.
Lord, will you help us as we, as we go through this account, this, this historic account of what happened to Jesus as he was moving toward, <clears throat> toward the cross that we have today sung of. Will you teach us? Will you open our hearts to you? Give us ears to hear you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to start out by uh, looking at, at, at the surrender and, and the first trials. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now you notice, rather than calling this the arrest, I've called it the surrender. That's because remember, uh, from last week, uh, Jesus was absolutely in control of what was going on here. What we see is uh, uh, this, this group came armed to the teeth. Uh, they were a mob to arrest a single person. And they were ready. They were ready for whatever. And they went to the garden. And then uh, it says that in the passage we looked at last week, that Jesus, knowing exactly what was going to happen, stepped forward and said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I am. And they fell backwards. They stepped back and cowered away from him. He says again, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth? I am. He said, using the name of God from the Old Testament. And there, as we talked about last week, we saw <clears throat> what I believe is just a glimpse of what it'll be like when Jesus comes back for those that aren't prepared for him. The scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Not just those who believe, but, but those who have chosen not to. So Jesus uh, pursues it. Peter tries to protect him, tries to chop the guy's head off or split it in half, and he chops his ear off. Jesus, according to another gospel, healed his ear up. And then he said, what are you doing? Am I not to, to drink of this cup? And then we talked about the the cup of salvation, the cup of God's wrath. And it was the cup of God's wrath that he was going to drink for his people. So that we, when we drink, will drink of the cup of salvation, which overflows. 
So we see that's why I'm calling it the surrender because this would not have happened if Jesus had not passively given himself. Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep before her shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We sometimes talk about the active and in, in, in theology, the active and passive obedience of Christ, the active being every time that he, he does that which God has said ought to be done, but he also fulfills God's will perfectly, sometimes in a passive way. And here we see that as he passively proceeds to the cross. Could he have called all the angels in heaven? It says that in the other Gospels. Of course he could have. Did he? No, this was the plan. Knowing what was about to take place, my time has now come. And then we read in verse 13, First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, this is an interesting passage of Scripture in this way. Um, what we're going to see is are two scenes taking place. I don't, I don't know anywhere else in Scripture where we actually see this. Two scenes that are taking place simultaneously, recorded in the same passage, and it basically it shows one scene on the inside of the house, on the inside of the courtyard, and then another scene outside. And it cuts back and forth and shows what is taking place simultaneously. So um, we'll, we'll go inside with Jesus here, and, and then we're going to see what's happening outside. Uh, Jesus has taken Anna, to Annas, who was the former high priest. He was kicked out by the Romans. But the Jews didn't recognize all the things the Romans had done. And when someone was appointed a high priest, you're a high priest for life. Plus, he was basically the patriarch of uh, the, the priestly family, as we'll see. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Um, so they still saw Annas as having authority. The Romans didn't, but the Jews did. So it's not, not strange that they would take him there first. And he, while they were gathering the Sanhedrin, the Jewish uh, leaders. Um, so what happens here is that Annas does kind of a, a pre-trial, almost an indictment, if you will, kind of screening this, and uh, uh, they're gathering the Sanhedrin, and Jesus is then going to be taken to Caiaphas, and in so doing, basically, Annas is saying, I want him eradicated, because he knew where Caiaphas stood. 
So here's, here's what it says in verse 14. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now let's look back at, at that passage. You don't have to literally look back. I'll, I'll read it to you. But I, I want to remind you where we saw that before. It was back in John 11. What took place in John 11? That's where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's when uh, the plots against Jesus really began to take form and really began to get momentum. So in uh, John eleven forty nine, it says, One of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now it says, he, he didn't say this of his own accord, but being a high priest, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Isn't that amazing here that God uses an unbelieving, in terms of Christ, one to communicate what was going to happen. Not the way Caiaphas thought it would, but rather the way God planned it out. So they'd been working on this plot for some time, um, but it wasn't Jesus' time. The reason the plot's now coming to fruition is because it, it is Jesus' time. So when we see the trials and the conviction of Jesus, um, and it'll go on with Pontius Pilate, we'll look at that next week. Um, according to the Gospel of Luke, even Herod, we see God executing his plan using unbelievers and wicked people. People that didn't want anything to do in a good way with God. And God's plan is executed in that way. Over in Acts chapter 4, it talks about this. Uh, it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do, listen to it, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak uh, your word with, with boldness. So here's what's going on. In Acts 4, which is after the resurrection... You have Peter and John again. Same guys that were in this earlier scene. But they're in trouble. And they're reminding themselves of how in control God is. He is so in control that, that we saw Jesus executed by those he wanted to use, by wicked men, by unbelieving people. And God executed his plan in that way. And then Peter and John in Acts, are, are from that they're encouraged, saying, we can go on. We're going to keep preaching because we know that God is still in control. Let, let me, um, some of you remember when our daughter and son-in-law uh, Rachel and Seth were over in Turkey uh, as missionaries for some years. Connie and I would often get the question, aren't you, aren't you worried about them over there? 
um, because there was always things going on. There was, there was at least one missionary that was murdered while they were over there. It was a very uh, big thing. They all, uh, all the missionaries knew each other. And so they'd say, aren't you worried? And our answer was always this. As long, we are convinced that as long as they are where God wants them to be, they are as safe over there as they would be in our own house. And we were absolutely convinced of that. Now, that didn't promise safety. But we're saying God is that in control. Would we really think they're only safe if they're where we can protect them? And so that's what's going on here. Now, let's look at Peter's first denial of Jesus, verse 15. Uh, Simon Peter followed uh, Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, there's no problem at this point. Peter didn't do anything bad by following him, even as, one, as the gospel says, from a distance. Uh, it's perfectly natural for Peter to follow Jesus. Um, and what would have been good for Peter is if he had done what Jesus told him to, to do in the garden, and that is Peter, watch and pray. But that's not really what Peter does here. So it says that, that Peter followed him. And, and then, who's, so who's this another disciple? Well, the commentators are, are, as far as I could see, completely in agreement that it was John from the Gospel of John. Um, and that's how often he would talk about himself, kind of in a third person. So it was uh, uh, Peter and John. So since that disciple, John, was known to the high priest. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also, listen how, it's a strange way to put a question. You also are not one of, this man's disciples, are you? He said, no, nah, I'm not. No. Now, think about this. This was not a big guard at the door. This was not a bouncer. This was not a soldier. It's a little girl. All the Gospels say a, a, young, a young woman, a servant, girl. And here's his first denial. And I think it's so ironic uh, the way it's described because it would have been obvious to everyone else that John, who came in right with Jesus, was one of his disciples too. But Peter was the one that Jesus had said before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. In the garden, Jesus says, I am. Here in the courtyard, Peter says, I'm not. 
verse 18. Now the servants and officers um, made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Here, it's night over there. Uh, Peter also was with them standing and warming uh, himself. So he's in the courtyard. It's night. It's cold. He stands around the fire with the guys. That's the one scene. And then we switch scenes. Look at the questioning. Verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and the temple where all Jews came together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me uh, what I said to them. They'll know what I said. So why does he speak up? He's not arguing here. But evidently, from the way he was being questioned, it was obvious to him that Annas was trying to build a case that he was doing something in secret. He was, he was starting this secret rebellion or something like that. The Romans won't like this. And Jesus just makes it impossible for them really to say that. Everything I've said has been out there. Ask anyone. Verse 22, when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? His hands are bound. He strikes him. He says, is that how you're going to answer the high priest? Now think about this. According to the New Testament, according to the book of Hebrews, who's the real high priest here? It's Jesus. Jesus fulfills the role of the high priest. And he's about to sacrifice himself for his people as the high priest. And he gets struck for speaking to some little guy with a little bit of power. Look at it, Peter's other denials. Verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Let me stop right there. Isn't that interesting? That's how the other one ends. He's there warming himself. And then the scene goes inside and then it says, Yeah, he's there warming himself over this charcoal fire. That made me kind of perk up. What, what's that about? Well, it could be about any number of things. But let me tell you one thing that I think it's about. He's about to deny Jesus again right there while he's warming himself. Jesus will die. He will be resurrected. He will teach his disciples. And then one day, he will be on, his, on the beach when his disciples were on the water and they were, had been fishing all night. They didn't catch any fish. You remember the account. We're going to hit it the, la, the, day, the Sunday after Easter. It's the last passage of, of, of this book. What did Jesus do on... It says, Jesus took some charcoal 
and made a fire. And then we'll see him restore Peter. Peter denies Jesus in front of this charcoal fire, and then he sees Jesus later in front of a charcoal fire, and he's forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. It goes on. Are you, not, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, you know, and this is a guy that's going to remember, right? Cut, cut my cousin's ear off. I remember you. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a, a rooster crowed. Peter's acting out of fear. Absolutely out of fear. And Jesus is acting out of love. That always overcomes fear. Fear. Several things here as we apply this. One is the problem of self-confidence. Good old Peter. You got to love him. And God used him in a mighty way. But back in John 13, he says, I would die for you. And Jesus says, no, Peter. Deny me you will three times before the rooster crows. His confidence was in himself, in his sword, in what he could accomplish. And he was going to have to learn that lesson that his absolute confidence had to be in Christ. Secondly, the problem of wanting to blend in. Can you just see him with the guys around the fire? Here's Savior's in there, and he's probably talking sports. You get it? How easy and how tempting it is for us to just blend in, want to blend in. I don't want to be noticed here. when we need to be standing for him. A third thing is, uh, we cannot hide our sin. Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Why do you think that rooster crowed? Let me tell you why the rooster crowed. Because... God took this little rooster and he opened up his little beak and he squeezed the crow out of him. And I suspect the rooster was going, 
wonder why I just crowed. It's the middle of the night. This was, this was God's plan. That's the only reason he crowed at that point. To fulfill what Jesus had said. And it shows us again, Jesus continues to be in control. There is not a moment in his life when he's not absolutely in control of all the circumstances that took place. And we will remember that again and again in future weeks as we're going to walk uh, him, see him walk toward the cross. If he lost control, what assurance would we have that his death meant anything? Now, we're not having communion today. But if we were, uh, you'd hear the words of institution that we read every time from 1 Corinthians 11. Now, before it talks about communion, it talks about a demarcation in Jesus' life. It does not say... On, on the night when the disciples had their last supper together or on the night when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it doesn't say any of those things. Do you know what it says? On the night when he was betrayed. On the night that he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my do this in remembrance of me. That's how important of an event this was. Is there anything worse than being betrayed by a friend? In, in Matthew and Acts, we see that Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was so guilt-ridden that he tried to return the money, and when they didn't accept it, he took his own life. And as sad as that is, the saddest part, while we see Judas the betrayer regretting his action, there's no repentance. And guilt consumed him. Contrast that with Peter. Over in Luke chapter 22, it says this. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. He's denying Jesus. And while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's the difference. Both awful sins... One, one of the sinners with a repentant heart. So here's the good news. That Jesus came 
and died and paid the penalty for deniers and for betrayers and for lawbreakers. There is no one beyond the reach of the forgiveness of God's grace. Let's bow together. Lord, help us to be thoroughly convinced of that. And not to look at our lives and say, well, I'm that one. I'm, I'm the only one maybe, but I'm the one that has done too much for him to redeem me. Help us to know that that is not the case. That what Jesus did on the cross was enough for those who would trust in him alone for our eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen.